1 Kings chapter 19. Many of you are probably familiar with the story. But I want to talk about some things that Elijah went through, and maybe this message is just for one person here this morning. It may be for many, or it may even be just for myself, just some things that the Lord's been stirring in my heart in just a season. I've been in this last little while. But in Elijah's story, we see that he, like many of us, all go through seasons in our life where we have struggles. And quite often when we find ourselves in that season, we feel like sometimes we're in a place where nobody else really understands what we're feeling and what we're going through. And you know, part of the devil's strategy is to keep those battles hidden and to keep those who are being tormented from actually reaching out because, of course, if he can do that, then those struggles intensify in our heart and in our mind and we sometimes feel that we come to a place that we have lost hope or we've lost heart. In fact, even for the people of God, and if I did a survey, if you were honest enough, I'm sure many hands would go up, but sometimes those struggles, those times of torment can be so great that even physical death seems like a reasonable option to, to make the pain stop or to escape that sorrow or that heaviness, whether that's a literal physical death or whether that is a death to believing anymore for what you've always believed was God's intent for your life or who God is or who God wants to be to you and just basically giving up on all of that, throwing it in, throwing in the towel as we say. In fact, I've spoken to people who seem to be very happy on the outside, but in their heart they're battling a very real despair. They're battling this just increasing darkness or despair or depression that they don't feel they can ever escape. And sometimes we can begin to entertain the thought that wouldn't it be nice just to kind of give up? Wouldn't it be nice just to finally be finished with the struggles and with the pain? We know that divorce, physically divorce, or relationally divorce is, is a growing trend in our culture today, and I'm still uh, not cynical enough. I, I believe that for many people that for divorce, it's not so much that people want to be out of the marriage, they just want to be out of the pain. They want to be out of the heartache and the constant stress. They just want that to stop. And we can feel that way sometimes in our relationship with God, our relationship to life. We know that life is good. We know that God is good. But sometimes we just would like to be able to check out because we just want the pain to stop. We want the struggle to stop. We want the disappointment and the failure, whatever the feelings may be we're going through, just to, just to end. You know, many factors can cause those thoughts of discouragement and death. It can even happen to people of God, and, and sometimes it happens when we feel that we have failed to the point of no recovery. And again, if I was to ask you to raise your hands, probably many would go up and say, yeah, I've felt that before, that's where I am this morning. Or you may never have really identified that, but if the truth be told, that's where you're living. You've never really given thought to it, and maybe the, this morning when I mentioned it, or you've never given voice to that. But if you really looked in your heart, you are at a place where you have given up. You, you live life, and life may be good or whatever, but you've basically given up on your fullest potential. You've given up on really believing that life is going to be any different, that life could be any more. Uh, it's going to be for somebody else, perhaps, but for me, uh, this is where I am, and I've basically the only way I find peace is just by accepting my lot. Whether it's been through failure, moral failure, whether it's been through just a failure of not really becoming what I feel I could be. And again, I've gone to the place where now it's too late. 
maybe you know too much has happened. Maybe I've t- failed too far. Maybe I've grown too cold, or maybe I've just failed so often that I just don't expect anything really to change. Well, when you read the story of Elijah, you see that he was a, a man who loved God. He was a great prophet of God, a man who had seen many uh, just demonstrations of God's power in and through his life, and he was a man who was really passionate for truth. In fact, Elijah had some pretty significant encounters with God, and I have no doubt because the New Testament tells us that Elijah was a man of like passions like us. He was a normal human being like you and me. And so even these encounters he had with God, there must have been a point in time where he really felt like, okay, I understand who I am. And I understand who God is. And I understand what God's plan is for me. And I, and I have this whole view of what life is going to be or what it should be like or how fulfilling it's going to be or, or what is, whatever his expectations may have been out of that encounter with God. And yet we see that even though he experienced all those things and all those good times, all those wonderful revelations, he now comes to a place where he feels like he has so missed the mark, he's so let God down or let himself down, that he's actually at a point where he just feels, I'm just, I'm just a failure. The Bible says, if you caught the scripture, that at that point in his life, Elijah actually went a full day's journey into the wilderness. And I I assume it's a 24-hour period, but if you're like me, I've had those days where it's just a full-day journey. Uh, It just seems like the whole day, the whole week, the whole season, whatever it may be, it just seems like you're walking into a wilderness, and it's just going deeper, and it's just becoming more difficult. It's a very dark and lonely place. And in that wilderness, we see with Elijah, there was nobody there. There was nobody who could help him. And isn't that the way that we often feel when we feel in that time of despair? We just feel like there's nobody around. And even if people are physically there, there's nobody around. You understand what I'm saying? There's people. There's voices. There's the activity you've got to push through through the course of the day. But there's nobody that really understands. And, and even people that might try to encourage you, they don't, you don't feel like they understand or that they can understand. And you just feel that you're alone. You feel that it's a dark place. Nobody can help you. And I want us to understand in this scripture, I want us to understand this is not just hyperbole. This is not an exaggeration. It's not an embellishment for the sake of of a nice little story in the Bible. Elijah came to a place when he finished that journey all by himself. He said, under this big brush, likely to get some, some respite from the desert heat. And literally, he said, God, take my life. I don't want to live. I know you, I fear you, I'm not going to take my own life, but God, if you love me, if you have any mercy, would you just take my life? I don't want to be here anymore. I don't see any hope, I don't see anything changing, all I can see is what, not, what is not, what should have been, but doesn't seem to materialize. Lord, I, I just, just end it for me. If you love me, just, just take me home. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that Elijah was physically and spiritually burnt out. And when we get burned out, there's a tendency for those molehills to become mountains, isn't there? When we get to a place of physical or or emotional or spiritual exhaustion, it just seems like, like those things in our lives, those issues, whatever it may be, that normally when we're at a place of rest and a place of peace, Normally, we just kind of brush those aside or laugh them off or, or not really think a whole lot about them. But when we come to this place of despair, those little things become so insurmountable that we just can't seem to find a way to get over them. We can't even get around them. 
There's just no way that we even have the energy to even bother addressing them. We just begin not to care anymore. And yet the reality is sometimes those are simply physical issues. They get hold of our lives when we're, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're drained. Now, prior to his escape into the wilderness, we read in the Scripture that Elijah was on the top of a mountain called Mount Carmel. That's where all the people were gathered. It was a great showdown, if you remember the story, between he and the prophets of Baal. Uh, his passion was to finally rid the land of, of all this demonic worship and all the manifestations of that and all the broken homes and lives and the nation just missing his purpose in God and all that God had for them. And, and basically the time had come to a peak where it was going to be a showdown that either God is real and we serve him or the Satan is real and we serve him, but it's time to pick one or the other. And on that mountain, as you read the story, we see that he takes a bold stand for God. He challenges those prophets, and God sends fire from heaven. The prophets are all killed. The people of God are on their face before God again. They're repenting. God has called them back. It's an incredible victory, an incredible time in Israel's history, a great celebration. So imagine being the person, the focal point, the lightning rod, you might say, through whom God does all this stuff. And then at the end of it, Elijah gets word that the queen is furious, Queen Jezebel. And she makes this declaration. She say, may worse happen to me if by the end of the day I don't have your head on a stick. Now just consider for a moment everything that Elijah had experienced. Fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and the stones and all the water. It's all a supernatural demonstration of God's power and presence. And he simply hears this rumor afterward and immediately he's just deflated. Oh, God, what am I going to do? God, just take my life. He just cowers before her words. But then it seems like, after having experienced that, one extreme to the other, that he just kind of falls into despair, probably feeling condemned by his weakness. And he just says, God, just, just take my life. I'm no different than my forefathers. I'm no different than all those Israelites that were worshiping at the altars of Baal. I'm no different than them. Look, this great thing you did in my life, and now I just cower before this queen, and I don't, I, Lord, I just, I don't have any energy left. Would you just take me? Now, Elijah has a very reverent fear for the Lord. Elijah was a man, of course, who had seen great demonstrations of God's power, who had face-to-face -face encounters with God. Elijah was a man who, who understood that God brings judgment on nations and people that turn their back on him. And so he had a real understanding of God's nature, a real reverent, godly fear of the Lord. Now, again, I'm going by the New Testament that says that Elijah was a man just like you and me. He was a human being just like us. He thought the same way that you and I think. And so when God brings him out from this mountain cave and all these phenomenal events begin to take place, I believe there's probably some fear in Elijah's heart. He's out in this mountain cleft, and, and there's this great wind. I don't know if it was a hurricane or tornado, what it was, but there was just this great, great demonstration of wind and power. And then there was this earthquake. I don't know how God you've got to be to not be afraid of an earthquake, but there's an earthquake. And so he's got to be kind of trembling too, grabbing onto rocks or something to, to save himself. And then the scripture says there was this great fire. But the Bible says this. 
that God was not in any of these things. Just think about that for a moment. He was not in any of these great demonstrations of power. He caused them, but he wasn't in them. And imagine Elijah's surprise when in the midst of all that noise and rumbling and everything around him literally falling apart and cracking and breaking and collapsing, the Scripture says that a gentle whisper suddenly came to him. Now think about this. All this noise is going on. And then a gentle whisper comes to him that is actually strong enough to silence the noise. Not only the noise around him, but a gentle voice that speaks into his spirit that is actually gentle and yet strong enough to quiet all the noise that's going on in his head. And that whisper came to him and told him to take heart. That whisper came and said, Elijah, be encouraged. There is still so much that I have for you to do. What was that whisper saying? I believe the Lord was saying, Elijah, I'm not angry with you. I'm not upset with you. I haven't left you. I am right here with you. Because actually, if the Lord was angry, he could have destroyed Elijah. Could have blown him off the cliff with the wind. He could have destroyed him in the earthquake. He could have consumed him with the fire, whatever it was. But that doesn't happen. Friend, the point I want to make this morning is very simple, but it is this. When you get tired and when you have failed, you can easily get this sense that God's angry with you. Anybody ever feel that way? Anybody honest here this morning? Come on, give it up. Yeah, we're all family, okay? If you don't, you know, if you don't believe it, you're living in denial. We've all been at places where we feel we've let God down. We've all been at places, even though we know God is the God of love, that in our own human limitation, we're thinking, but surely God must be upset with me because I'm upset with me. God must be disappointed in me because I'm disappointed in me. And we feel that the Lord is somehow maybe angry with us. But when we're in that place, we have to reject that lie. Because when you read the Word of God, you find out Scripture doesn't support that. Let me give you two scriptures. There are hundreds, but one from Jeremiah. The Lord says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's the heart of God toward me. He says through Isaiah, he says, I can never forget you. I can never write you off. I could never forget you. I have written your name on the palms of my hands. What is the Lord saying? He's saying to us, like he said to Elijah, listen, I understand when you feel like you're in the wilderness. I understand when you feel like you failed. And I understand when you park yourself in this place where you feel like you failed beyond recovery and that's where you've got to live and that's where you're going to be. But the Lord says, I want you to understand that when you fail, I restore you. When you fall short, my arm is not too short to reach out and even bridge the gap if need be. The Lord doesn't meet us halfway. If he met us halfway, we'd never make us. He, makes, he meets us like 99% of the way. His arm is not too short to save us. He reaches across whatever gap there may be, and in his mercy, he is there to get hold of us and reach out to us. The Lord says when you don't forgive yourself, you've got to understand, I forgive you. I love you with an everlasting love. Do you know what that means? 
It means, God is literally saying this. I have loved my son, Jesus Christ, for eternity past. There was never a time I did not love my son. Let this get a hold of your mind. The Lord is saying, I love you not only for as long as I have loved my son. I love you as much as I love my son, Jesus Christ. I love you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You see, friends, when Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, he didn't go because you were good. And he didn't go because you were strong or because you were faithful. He went to the cross for this simple reason, because he knew that you would never make it in your own strength. That's why he went. He went because he knew that you needed a Savior. So I want to encourage you this morning to not allow the devil to condemn you and tell you that you have somehow sinned away God's grace in your life or that somehow your life is not worth living whether that is physically, whether that's emotionally, whether that's spiritually, whether it's pertaining to God's purpose for your life, do not believe the lie of the devil who says that your life's not worth it anymore, that you've sinned beyond grace. You see, the reason you haven't sinned beyond grace, my friend, is because you still care. If you didn't care, you may have some concern, but the very fact that you have a desire to please God is evidence that God is at work in your heart and that he is drawing you. Be encouraged in that. You know, another reason why thoughts of giving up may come is simply because God has something significant for your life. And so the devil is coming against you. Just let that sink in for a minute. God has something significant for you. Pastor Kristen mentioned it this morning, very simply going for a walk in the park. No big deal. No major planning, no special talent required, just a simple prompting, obedience, and yet a miracle in somebody's life, a God encounter in somebody else's life. You see, the devil knows how God wants to use you, and so he wants to shut you down. And so he comes against you to make you feel like you're nobody special, you're no different. In fact, because I know myself, I know God can't use me. And we believe that lie and we live in that lie and we never experience, as we saw on the, on the music video, we never experience the joy of the Lord and the freedom that comes in simply stepping out in what God intends for us in just day-by-day -day decisions as we walk with the Lord. The devil knows that. And so the devil comes against you, Revelation 12 says, with great wrath. Friends, don't forget the fact this morning that we are in a spiritual battle. Do you hear me this morning? You don't have to feel a smack upside of the head to know you're in spiritual warfare. You won't feel it that way. I've said this many times. The devil does not come to you most times with a frontal assault that you just go, bang! You know, Deborah Lee was saying, or Christian was saying, I was talking to Deborah Lee before the service, driving home last night from Halifax, and, and it hits a pothole. You know, driving along the highway, bang! All of a sudden, the sunglasses go flying, and things are all loosed in the car. The devil doesn't always come at you that way. You know how he comes against you? He comes against you the same way he comes against me, just through the everyday, ordinary things that he weaves into our life in the natural fabric of our daily existence. 
Just little things, little words, little discouraging things, little thoughts, whatever it may be, that is how he comes against us most times. But we are in a battle against an enemy who is very strong, very strategic in what he does. In fact, I hear people say, I've heard people say before, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong with me. I've never had struggles like this in my mind before I was a Christian. I mean, even when I was doing drugs or out on the bar scene, I just, I never had these times like I'm having late where it just seems like, you know, just hell is going on in my mind. What's going on? And they're not very encouraged when I tell them, well, to tell you the truth, hell is going on in your mind. That's exactly what's going on. Your mind is going through hell, through assault of the enemy. And it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's not because you're going through that, something that nobody else has ever gone through. It's because this is warfare. You're going through that because as the Bible says in Ephesians 6, you are fighting a very real spiritual enemy who's attacking your mind. You are targeted and you are hated by these demonic powers. So don't be surprised when your mind gets flooded with these thoughts. That's life. That's what happens in the life of a believer. It's a very natural thing, a very real thing. But having said that, you also have to remember this, that in Jesus Christ, you have been given power to stand up. And in Christ, you have been given power to resist these thoughts and to resist these things. Friends, I'll tell you this morning, for this last couple of weeks, there's been many times where I have had to literally stand up and say in my spirit, No! No. And we all have those times. In Jesus, I have been given power to stop the downward spiral of despair before it gets to the point of giving up. You see, that's the difference of the presence of God in our lives. That's the difference of the Word of God being opened before you each day and allowing your soul to feed on truth. That's the difference of the power of worship in the life of the child of God. You understand that I don't have to surrender to hopelessness. I have an option. I don't have to give in to wrong thinking. Jesus offers healing and freedom from all captivity and from every thought of despair. That's the difference the Lord makes in our lives this morning. And as a child of God, you have the power to say, from now on, no more. From now on, no further. From now on, no more of these thoughts. It doesn't mean they won't ever come again. But in the same way, you continue to address those attacks. And I want to encourage you this morning, if this is speaking to your spirit at all, that rather than sitting and just continuing to mull over your depressive situation, get into the Word of God. Friends, you've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to fill your mind with those things that are good and those things that are true and those things that are worthy of praise. Not just things that are nice to talk about, but things that cause praise to rise up within your spirit. Things which in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of the despair, as we saw in the music video, we get into the Word of God and the truth begins to grab our heart and the light of God's Word begins to dispel the darkness and we discover that rather than being just sitting 
sitting there and being further depressed and in despair, there begins to rise up within us a river of the Spirit of God that refreshes and cleanses and brings hope and brings strength. And we find all of a sudden we begin to worship the Lord. And if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Lord can do it there. But if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, just the Holy Spirit begins to take over. And like a river, all of a sudden you begin to believe and understand who God is and what God can do. And you worship the Lord, and the atmosphere changes, and the future changes. And there comes hope instead of despair. You need to read the stories in the Word of God. Friends, the Word of God is not just a history book. It's not a, it's not a fairy tale book. These are books, as Hebrews says, these are stories that have been recorded for your remembrance and mine. Get this, especially those of us who live in these last days that we can understand how God works. And so we read these stories of men and women who go through impossible situations. And if they somehow find the strength of God to fight and to gain what they could never have gained if they had just relied on their own human strength. You see, if you don't make the choice to stand and resist the lies, you will constantly drag yourself through the hopelessness and the sorrow. And there will never seem to be any sense of meaning or purpose for your life. Now, you might be sitting here and saying, well, Pastor, I'm not going through any big thing. Well, that's wonderful. But let me ask you, are you living in the purpose of God for your life? It doesn't mean you have to be going through a bad time right now. The devil may have shut you down 20 years ago. He may have shut you down two months ago. You may have gone through something and then believe the devil's lie that because you've gone through that, somehow you're disqualified from the kingdom. Oh, it doesn't mean you've lost your salvation, but you're not ever a candidate anymore to be used of God. And so the devil says, great, that succeeded. I've got them parked right there. Now, if they get excited and, and start to believe again, I'm going to come over and rattle the cage. But as long as they're not doing anything, as long as they're not believing anything, you see, you don't have to be going through stuff. You could have gone through stuff that shut you down, and that's all the devil wants to do. He just wants to shut you down. Why? To make sure that you don't release anybody else, that you're not used by God as a testimony of the triumph and power of Jesus Christ over the powers of darkness in your world and in the world around you. It's time to take authority in the name of Jesus over every lie of the devil and every scheme that's been plotted against you. Friends, we need to remind ourselves as the people of God, and if you don't know God this morning, then let me tell you this truth according to the word of God, that Satan's only real weapon is his convincing lie that there's no reason for you to go on. That is the, literally the only weapon he has against you. It's the battle for your mind that you might as well give up. Or if, it's, if he doesn't word it that way, you might as well not believe much for your life. You're just an ordinary Christian. Do you realize an ordinary Christian is supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit? An ordinary Christian is a Christian that has power to heal the sick, has the power to speak in other tongues, has the power over demons. That's an ordinary Christian. You see, that's ordinary, according to the Word of God. And so... The devil wants to make you to think that ordinary is just, I've got no power. No, no, no. Ordinary is to have the power and to walk in that. It's, it's what the Lord wants us to aspire to and stop believing the, the enemy's lies that we don't have a reason to believe for more. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he shouted, it is finished. It's done. And he meant that the power of hell is completely finished. 
And so what we do as believers is we stand in the authority of that finished work and we bring every accusation and every lie of the devil under our feet. That's what we do. That's not just figurative. It's talking about a position of power. You see, in the Old Testament or in ancient times, when a king won a victory, he would go up to the other king that they have conquered, and before he killed them, he would lay them on the ground and put his foot on his neck. There was no lower place to be if you were on the receiving end of that. You were completely, utterly humiliated so that everybody around you saw that this king and his kingdom is totally devastated, it is inconsequential, and we, we walk in victory over them. The Bible says that through his cross, Jesus Christ literally did the same thing. When he said, it is finished in the realm of the spirit, he literally was going to the devil, casting him to the ground, stepping on his neck, and saying, you have no authority anymore. And that's why Jesus said, when he rose from the dead, he didn't just rise from the dead and say, whew, that was close. No, he comes to the disciples and what does he say? He says, listen guys, and they understood completely what he meant. All authority has been given to me. Now go therefore in the name of my, in the power of my name and do what I've done. Do what I've called you to do and set people free. Freely you've received. Now go and freely give. And don't be surprised when the Holy Spirit follows you with signs following because that's ordinary Christians. That's who we are. We live and we walk in the victory. Hear me, saints. The victory is not in how good you are or how strong you are or what talents you have. That's not where the victory is. Yes, commit to holiness. Walk close to God. Be serious about your sin. Yes, you need to do that to be used to the Lord the way he wants to use you. But the victory is his that he gives to us and we go in his name and minister in the power of his name. He shows up. He does it. And here's the cool thing. The people who receive the ministry, they're aware that it's God. And he gets the glory. He gets the glory. Remember Jason was sharing, me, sharing with me yesterday, uh, getting ready for the wedding. And by the way, the Ochayas are here. Eric and Liz, who were married yesterday, God bless you. Nice to have you and their family with you as well. But he was sharing with me how as they were ministering to that young man in the park, that he just felt the presence of God. And they were saying to him, you can feel him, can't you? As they were praying with him, you can feel it, can't you? He's going, yeah, 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 I can feel him. That's ordinary Christianity. The people of God understand the authority we have that we don't have to live in despair. We can be a people who truly live in victory and in praise to the Lord. You may not fully realize this today, friends, but you are a very real threat to the enemy. And hear me. All over our city today, there are people without Jesus who are going through things that you are going through now or going through things that maybe you've gone through in the past. But here's the difference. You, as a child of God, you know something they don't know. And what you know is that you're not only going to get out of this, you are going to do great damage to the kingdom of Satan because of this along the way. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you to people who are struggling just like you have struggled and Jesus is going to use you to pull them out of the mire and to set them free. That's what the Lord knows and that's what he wants to know as his people as we go through these things. I'm just so encouraged when I read this story of Elijah. We see that even a simple word can make a world of difference. 
Friends, when it comes to, you know, being used of God, it's just about being available. It's just about being anointed by the Spirit of God. It may be something as simple as a soft word that you speak to a heart that's losing hope. Just like God spoke a simple, gentle word to Elijah, lifted him out of his depression, and then Elijah goes on to anoint kings and do great good. I also want you to notice just in passing that God also gave Elijah a friend, a friend named Elisha. And that reminds me how important it is not to try to make this journey alone. Friends, we all need a friend with whom we can share our heart, with whom we can pray. We all need somebody who has discernment. You've got to find somebody who, who's on the same side as you. What I mean by that is, is they know what your end goal is, what your desire it is, is to be a man or a woman of God. And they're always going to encourage you along that way. They're not going to say in times when you feel like giving up, yeah, you ought to give up, you're right. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm such a failure. Yeah, you're right, you're really messed up. No, you don't want that. You know, you want somebody who can give you wisdom, who can recognize when you've blown it, but they can also say, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. No, that's the devil. Yeah, no, no, no. No, I know this has happened, this has happened. You can understand there's more to it than this. No, this is the enemy. We need to come against him. You know, I so appreciate Pastor Christian, our friendship, you know, because I get those times. You know, you're just down. You feel like, oh, I'm useless, not doing anything, whatever the case may be. And I can go into the office and I can pour my heart. Now, he's not a man of many words, you know. So I'll just pour my heart. He'll look across his desk and a gentle voice just say, you're an idiot. I'll say, thank you. That's all I needed. You're right. I was, no, I'm just kidding. He gives great counsel. But it doesn't have to be a whole lot of words. It could just be a simple word of truth to say, hey, 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 listen. I can understand how you think that way, but you've got to understand, that's the enemy. That's what that is. That's the enemy. And whether you pray together or you go off and you spend some time with the Lord and you get the perspective again and the Lord begins to give hope and, and vision and so on, and, and then on you go. I want to give you two scriptures here. We see in the Bible that even Paul the Apostle and some of his companions they experienced times of great despair. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Now get this. Again, this is not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. Paul says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Let that sink in. Paul's not writing to the Corinthians thinking, how can I embellish this? I mean, how can I, you know, good preacher, you know, how can I take a little situation and, you know, make it sound really exciting? No, Paul said, I'm being honest with you. We were at the end. I mean, here we are just faithfully ministering as the men of God, fighting the good fight, but we just came to a point that we were completely at the end of our strength. Despair crept in. We were completely overwhelmed. Now, Paul goes on to say this in the next verse. In fact, we expected to die. So it doesn't get much more bleak. But these next words are so important. But as a result, we just say those words, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. Do you hear what Paul is saying? We came to these times of despair. We were burned out. We were tired physically, emotionally, spiritually. We were at the end of it. We had nothing left to give. We literally thought we were going to die. We were like Elijah. Oh, God, take my life. I don't want, I just want this pain to stop, this sorrow to stop, this struggle to stop. Paul is saying we went through all of that, and that's where we were. But you know what? As a result of being at that place, we realized we can't rely on ourselves. 
We have to rely on God. And it's not just relying on God in some kind of, you know, oh, okay, I'm God, I'm relying on No, we're relying on the God who raises the dead. We're relying on the God who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you were dead, yet you shall live. Put your hope in me. That's the God we have to turn to in the times that we feel like giving up. In fact, the only kind of dying or giving up as the people of God that we should ever consider is just dying to our own strength or giving up on our own plans, or letting go of our own sense of hopelessness. We're allowed to die to those things. But instead, we put our trust in the one who raises the dead. What do we do? We cry out to the Lord and we say, Lord, manifest your life in me. I don't feel any life. I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I want to die. I just want this to stop. Lord, I need your life in me. That is the only death that's an option for a child of God. I'm done with this, and we're going to go to the Lord's table in just a moment. But friends, I want to encourage us this morning with the simple truth that the Lord is going to use you. I believe what Pastor Christian said this morning. The Lord intends to use you for great purposes in this generation. But when the devil comes to you to remind you of all your troubles... You have to take the courage to get up and to say, Satan, my life is worth living. God has amazing things for me. Not just in the future. Today. Today. May not be amazing by other people's measurements, but to the life I'm going to touch today, for that person you're going to use me to speak into today, you're going to do amazing things through me today. That is your purpose for me. And I can't think of a better way to conclude this message than by declaring a promise from the Word of God, Isaiah 54. We bring that up. I want you to lift your voice with me, and I want us to read this together as a declaration. Would you read this scripture with me? No weapon formed against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Amen. That's the word of God to his people this morning. And friends, when you speak those words, you speak to those struggles and those sorrows, I want to encourage you to say that in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you are not, devil, going to take away my future. In the name of Jesus, you are not going to rob me. In the name of Jesus, you are not going to steal my song. You are not going to rob me of my joy. And friends, when you do that, I just love the way the Lord works. Not only will the despair be broken off your life, it will begin to be broken off of the lives whom God will bring your way to minister in the days ahead. Amen? That's the kind of God we serve. That's the resource that's available to us this morning. And as we conclude ourself around, our service around the Lord's table this morning, I want to encourage you as you partake of the emblems to do so understanding that Jesus said, these emblems represent my blood and my body which was broken and shed for you. And what did Jesus say? He said, take and eat. What's he saying? Eat of me. Draw on my resources. Draw on my strength. 
Draw on the healing that has come to your life through my brokenness. Draw on the forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit that's been given to you because of my shed blood upon the cross. I don't ask you to come to the Lord's table to remember how your big bad sins sent me to the cross so you can leave here feeling condemned. I've come to, I bring you to the table to show you that all the problems that you have and that you've ever had, they have been addressed and solved to the cross. You just got to come to the cross again. You've got to come to my presence again. Friends, my heart breaks. I, I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how else to encourage us. But as the people of God, we will burn out. We will dry up. We will blow away. We will feel empty. We will feel frustrated with ourselves and, and think the Lord can't use us. And you know where most of that stems from? The very simple negligence of the disciplines God has given us that foster his presence in our lives. You've got to open the word of God. You've got to read the word of God and allow the word to speak to you. The word of God is full of living power. That's what it is. It's a living document. You've got to be in the word. If you're not in the word, you're going to starve. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell, but you're parked right there. You're parked right there. And everything might be going fine. The job's going okay. You're making good money. The house is good. Kids are doing okay, but you're just parked right there. That's all your life is ever going to be. And when the Lord comes, you get out of your cage, and you stand in his presence and say, Oh, God, what a wasted life. All that I could have done if I'd only have just brought your presence into that cage, into my life. And the same goes for prayer. The same goes for worship. It doesn't mean you have to lock yourself into 30 minutes or an hour a day, whatever the case may be. But you need to practice the presence of the Lord. You need to have a regular time, yes, that you're with the Lord. But sometimes we know life happens and it doesn't happen. But you need to be obedient when the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, 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 you're getting dry. Hey, hey, you're in a wilderness place right now. Just come away. Would you just come away with me for a few minutes? Would you just come for, give me five minutes, give me 15 minutes, whatever the case may be. Would you just, would you just turn that thing off for a moment? That's never going to refresh you. You can sit in front of that tube for five hours. You're going to be as tired when you go to bed as when you start. It won't re That's not where refreshing is. Refreshing comes in the presence of the Lord. That's where it comes. Would you just come away a little while? That's what the Lord is saying this morning. As we come to his table, and gentlemen, feel free to bring the table if you would. As we come to the Lord's table, the Lord is inviting us and reminding us. Would you come and would you feast on me? Would you draw your strength from me, your sustenance from me? If you feel this morning like giving up, you don't need to give up. There is strength. The angel of the Lord appeared to Elijah in that wilderness, that barren place. He said, now get up and eat. And the Bible says that on that simple cake and drink that the Lord provided for the prophet, he actually sustained him for 40 days. Can you imagine eating a meal that lasts for 40 days? I've eaten sometimes enough that you think it would last for 40 days but you're hungry again the next day. You're hungry again by supper time. But the Lord has a sustenance for us that just provides a supernatural strength for the journey before us. And the Lord wants to remind us to come to his table in the same way. That we're not just, we're not just eating bread, we're not just drinking a cup to get through the service and go home. We're reminded by these emblems, the Lord is saying, come to me. Drink of my presence. Eat of what I pour into your soul, what I speak into your life. Let that be food for you. You don't have to be warned.
down. You don't want to be burnt out. You don't want to be to a place of the Spirit to give up. If you are, 